Hi guys, this is Caro. Mari. And Bunny. Bunny is blessed us with her presence. That's me. Thank you. <laughs> That's her blessing us. That's cool. That's cool. And blessings be with you. Ding. And blessings be with you. Ding. Ding. She's all splashing us with truly. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been tequila. You catch it with your mouth. Ah. <laughs> I spray it with the bottles at the club and then I, I whistle. <laughs> yeah, I would need a whistle at that because I can't whistle. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had one of those people whistle from their mouth, though. Like, it's always been like an actual whistle. If, yes. Like, Could you imagine if they're like shaking their head and they're like, they're like, they're like, we're ready to hire you. Can you whistle? And you're like, uh, no, but I can shake their head. No job for you. No job for I'm you. I'm a professional. She's all, eh. Eh. She's like, I can coordinate the body shots. Like, I was so <laughs> And she's hovering. Uh, bump the ground. <laughs> and she's like, what's She's all sore for tips. Oh, my God. How did we get there? How did we get there? So today's story, Mari. Yes. What? What's today's oh. story? <laughs> yes, that's me. Ed Gein. Also known as the Butcher of Plainfield. Oh. He was born on August 27th, so he's a Virgo. He explains a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> he's a mo- oh, mama's boy. Just kidding. Also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, or the Plainfield Ghoul, was an American murderer and body snatcher. Ew. Ew. I don't like the way that sounds. The snatcher, at all. Huh? body snatcher. Yeah, my totally. Like, like, right that, that's like someone that snatches from like, like that, cemeteries, like, huh? Yeah. So I was okay with the. My accent just came out hard right now. I don't like the way that said it. Your ESL? My ESL showing. Like, we were okay with the serial killer part, but we draw the line at the body, body snatcher. That's going to sound like your family's all, or whoever, your friend family is resting. Mm, I don't like, oh, someone took their body. Yeah, they snatched what? their body. Like, what? And he made fucking lampshades. What? Ew. Silence of the lambs. Yeah, he did. And he made he made a bell out of I'm nipples. Happy. What? Wait, are we talking about Edgy? Yes. Okay, what? Yes. Out of nipples. Yes. So the, the slots were the... <laughs> Money's touching her nipples. Right? It was just a belt made out of a bunch of just nipples. nipples. Yeah. Were they the same color, though? No. Some were pink. Well, I don't know. Some <laughs> were pink. I don't know. Some, you know. Some were a light brown? Yeah. Not a shit of brown. <laughs> Also known as Ed Gein, who Leatherface character in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on. Oh. And also Norman. Ah. Norman Bates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Norman Bates and Psycho is also based on Ed Gein. Really? Those That's a two big very contrast. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I didn't, it didn't go, aha. It went like, geke. And we both like, issues with their moms. Oh. oh. Okay. Okay, jinx. <laughs> so, jinx. We're, oh, like, we're like, why is that so like, Ooh. Chainsaw and then Norman Bates. Well, Chainsaw, I think, is probably like, um, exaggerated for like the movie. You mean I, it wasn't real? I'm just I feel like it was real. Yeah. I feel like it was real too. Yeah. I don't know. I just never want a road trip in middle America. 
Fuck no, Hills Have Eyes. Oh, Dude, I have not watched that movie, and I refuse You've to. You've never seen no, Hills I Have Eyes? I wish it was me. I've seen it with someone. No, it was not me. If I you made me watch it, it, if you made me watch it, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I had to open my can. I'm sorry. Okay. It me out. I got a dirty look right now from my TV stars. Wait, no. <laughs> podcast, what? Podcast stars. First we're rich, now we're TV stars. It makes sense. <laughs> it's the eyebrows, the matching eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> All three of us got the same thing. <laughs> Thank you, Aesthetic Ginks. Mm-hmm. Andrea? She's great. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> um, Gein's crimes committed around his hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin. Why does that sound familiar? Because we just talked about Because all the fucking serial killers, because it's plain and they all come from Wisconsin. I don't know. Is it Flatlands? Yeah. <laughs> or is that Kentucky? Why am I thinking Flatlands? Well, it's the Midwest. So, I mean, I don't know. Well, ill. Sorry. <laughs> um, we're gathered. all one loser. Or, or sorry, one loser. Sorry if you're family. Sorry to those that are listening to us from Plainfield, Wisconsin. <laughs> Gathered with widespread notoriety. Get it together. In 1957, <laughs> I'm on half of my second truly okay. Oh, whoa, you part <laughs> animal. I'm wild! <laughs> <laughs> Why do you guys invite me para que me invitan si ya saben como me pongo? Right? In 1957, after authorities discovered he had exhumed corpses from local graveyards and fashioned trophies and keepsakes from their bones and skin. Gein also confessed to killing two women, tavern owner Mary Hogan in 1954 and a hardware store owner Bernice Warden in 1957. Oh, that part too! In Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new one. Remember when like he like gets the girl... The one that's going to, with his mom in the car. Oh, okay, yeah, And yeah, then yeah. it's like, nobody called to see how she is. There's like certain things you're just like... Well, no, like, no, 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 her, 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 spoiler alert. Her boyfriend or her fiancé, whoever the heck he uh-huh. was, um, did call her. And she was pinned. And she couldn't get the phone. Oh. And she was like, Ehh. And then that's when he got out of the car and he was like, Ugh, you know, cutting off the face. And then, uh, and then she was like... Stop ringing, stop her, because yeah. her phone was either vibrating or on the yeah. But he did. They, they they did reach out to her, but she didn't pick up, and so they they were like, "Well, she didn't pick up because she's busy." Yeah. They didn't assume like they fucking crashed. That mom was creepy too. I mean, come on! When somebody opens a door in that fucking disgusting house, bye, <laughs> ciao. Well, let's not invest in this city and <laughs> this town with their like. Confederate flag. Oh my god, for but sure. But it belonged to the old lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the, the house did belong to her. Mm-hmm. They Gein, woke up the sleeping bear. Yeah. Gene was born in La Crosse County, Wisconsin on August 27, 1906. The second of two boys of George Philip Gene and August, Augusta Wil, Wilhelmine. Edwina. <laughs> Wilma. Just kidding. Gene had an elder brother, Henry George Gene. Augusta. I keep calling her August. No. Augusta hated her husband, an alcoholic who was unable to keep a job. He had worked at various times as a carpenter, tanner, and insurance salesman. What's a tanner? Let's see. It's someone who um, gives a nice glow. They treat skin and hides of animals to produce leather. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I knew. Shut up. George George owned a local grocery shop for a few years but sold the business. And the family left the city to live in isolation on a 155-acre farm in the town of Plainfield, Wisconsin, which became 
Beguine family's permanent residence. Augusta took advantage of the farm's isolation by turning away outsiders who could have influenced her sons. Gein left the farm only to attend school. Outside of school, Gein spent most of his time doing chores on the farm. Augusta was fervently religious and nominally Lutheran. She preached to her boys about the innate immorality of the world and the evil of drinking and her belief that all women apart from herself were naturally promiscuous and instruments of the devil. She reserved time every afternoon to read to them for the Bible, from the Bible, usually selecting verses from the Old Testament and Book of Revelation concerning death, murder, and divine retribution. Gein was shy, and a classmate and teachers remember him as having strange mannerisms, such as seemingly random laughter as if he were laughing at his own personal jokes. To make matters worse, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Just laughing, you're like, yeah? To make matters worse, Augusta punished him whenever he tried to make friends. How sad. Despite his poor social development, Gein, will, Gein did fairly well in school, particularly in reading. On April 1st, 1940, Ed Gein's father, George, died of a heart, heart failure caused by his alcoholism at age 66. Henry and Ed began doing odd jobs around the town to help cover living expenses. The brothers were generally considered reliable and honest by residents of the community. While both worked as handymen, Ed also frequently babysat for neighbors. Oh. <laughs> He enjoyed babysitting. He's like, ha, 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 Seeming to relate more easily to children than adults, Henry began dating a divorced mother of two and planned to move in with her. He worried about his brother's attachment to their mother and often spoke ill of her around Ed, who responded with shock and hurt. On May 16, 1944, Henry and Ed were burning away marsh vegetation on the property. The fire got out of control, drawing the attention of the local fire department. By the end of the day, the fire having been extinguished and the firefighters gone, Ed reported his brother missing. With lanterns and flashlights, a search party searched for Henry, whose dead body was found lying face down. Apparently, he had been dead for some time, and it appeared that the cause of death was heart failure since he had not been burned or injured otherwise. Hmm. Mm. It's kind of suspicious. Hmm. Yeah. It was later reported by biographer Harold Schechter that Henry had bruises on his head. Better source needed. The police dismissed the possibility of foul play, and the county coroner later officially listed association as the cause of death. The authorities accepted the accident theory, but no official investigation was conducted and an autopsy was not performed. Questioning Ed Gein about the death of Bernice Warden, 1957, state investigator Joe Wilmofsky brought up questions about Henry's death. George W. Arndt, who studied the case, wrote that in retrospect, it was possibly unlikely that Henry's death was the Cain and Abel aspect of the case. Mm. Gein and his mother were now alone. Augusta had a paralyzing stroke shortly after Henry's death, and Gein devoted himself to taking care of her. Sometime in 1945, Gein later recounted he and his mother visited a man named Smith, who lived nearby to purchase straw. According to Gein, Augusta witnessed Smith beating a dog. A woman inside the Smith home came outside and yelled for him to stop, but Smith beat the dog to death. Augusta was extremely upset by the scene, however, what bothered her did not appear to be brutality towards the dog, but rather the presence of the woman. Really? Augusta told Ed that the woman was not married to Smith, so she had no business being there. Smith's harlot, Augusta, Ooh. angrily called her. She had a second stroke soon after, and her health deteriorated rapidly. She died on December 29, 1945, at the age of 67. Ed was devastated by her death. In the words of author Harold 
Schechter. He had lost his only friend and one true love, and he was absolutely alone in the world. <sighs> Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden disappeared. A Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building around 9.30 in the morning. The hardware store saw few customers in the entire day. Some area residents believe this was because of deer hunting season. Bernice Warden's son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store around 5 p.m. to find the store's cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. Frank Warden told investigators that on the evening before his mother's disappearance, Gein had been in the store and that he was to have returned the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. A sales slip for a gallon of antifreeze was the last receipt written by Warden on the morning she disappeared. On the evening of the same day, Gein was arrested at a West Plainfield grocery store, and the Walshara County Sheriff's Department searched the Gein farm. The Walshara County Sheriff's Department discovered Warden's decapitated body in the shed Ooh. on Gein's property, hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrist. The torso was dressed out like a deer. She had been shot with the 22 caliber rifle and the mutilations were made after her death. Whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedpost, female skulls, some with the tops sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from female torso skin from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human leg skin, mask made from the skin of female heads, Mary Hogan's face mask in the paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in the box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove, nine vulvae in a shoebox, a young girl's dress. Wait, vulvae? Yeah. Yeah. Your kitty cat, part of your kitty cat. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two female judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from female human nipples. Four noses. A pair of lips on the window shade drawstring. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Fingernails from female fingers. These artifacts were photographed at the state crime laboratory and then decently disposed of. Supposedly. (laughs) They all keep them. They're like, oh, look at this belt. They, it's all in some sack bagan from like paranormal or something, has it? Yeah. <laughs> when questioned, Gein told investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he made as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a daze like state. On about 30 of those visits, he said he came out of the daze while in the cemetery, left the grave in good order, and returned home empty handed. On the other occasions, he dug up the graves of recently buried middle aged women he thought resembled his mother and took the bodies home where he tanned their skins to make his paraphernalia so the tanning was like his dad's job right so he must have learned how to do that yeah that's true Gein admitted to stealing from nine graves from local cemeteries and led investigators to their locations Alan Wilmowski of the state crime laboratory participated in opening three test graves identified by Gein the caskets were inside wooden boxes the top boards ran across ways not lengthwise the tops of the boxes were about two feet 61 centimeters below the surface in sandy soil Gein had robbed the graves soon after the funerals while the graves were not completed the test graves were exhumed because authorities were uncertain as to whether the site the slight Gein was capable of single-handedly digging up a grave during a single evening they were found as Gein described. Two of the exhumed graves were found empty. One had a crowbar in place of the body. One casket was empty. One casket Gein had failed to open when he lost his pry bar. And most of the body was gone from the third grave. 
Yet Gein had returned rings and some body parts. Thus, Gein's confession was largely corroborated. Soon after his mother's death, Gein began to create a woman's suit so that he could become his mother. That's the Norman Bates. But it's also like a little Silence of the Lambs, too. To literally crawl into her skin. Oh, the smell. <laughs> I'm just like the... the Gein sm- denied having sex with the bodies he exhumed. Okay. They smelled too bad. <laughs> That's where I, I draw the line. line. That's where I draw the line. But I made nipple belts. He's on draw the line. During state crime laboratory interrogation, Gein also admitted to the shooting death of Mary Hogan, a tavern owner missing since 1954 whose head was found in his house, but he later denied memory of details of her death. A 16-year-old youth whose parents were friends of Gein and who attended ball games and movies with him reported that Gein kept shrunken heads in his house, which Gein had described as relics from the Philippines, sent by a cousin who had served on the islands during World War II. Upon investigation by the police, these were determined to be human facial skins carefully peeled from the corpse and used by Gein as masks. Oh my god. Gein was also considered a suspect in several other unsolved cases in Wisconsin, including the 1953 disappearance of Evelyn Hartley, a lacrosse babysitter. During questioning, Washara County Sheriff Art Shelley or Skelly reported assault reportedly assaulted Gein by banging his head and face into the brick wall. As a result, Gein's initial confession was ruled oh. inadmissible. Skelly died of her heart failure at age 43 in 1968 before Gein's trial. Many who knew Skelly said that he was traumatized by the horror of Gein's crimes and this, along with the fear of having to testify, especially about assaulting Gein, caused his death. One of his friends said he was a victim of Ed Gein as early as if he had butchered him. On November 21, 1957, Gein was arraigned on one of one count of the first-degree murder in Washara County Court, where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent, thus unfit for trial. He was sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, now the Dodge Correctional Institute, a maximum security facility in Wapoon, Wisconsin, and later transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. In 1968, doctors determined Gein was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. The trial began on November 7, 1968, and lasted one week. A psychiatrist testified that Gein had told him he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. Gein had told him that while he was examined, a gun in Warden's store, the gun went off, killing Warden. Gein testified that after trying to load a bullet into the rifle, it discharged. He said that he had not aimed the rifle at Warden and then did not remember anything else that happened that morning. At the request of the defense, Gein's trial was held without a jury, with Judge Robert Golmer presiding. Gein was found guilty by Golmer on November 14th. A second trial dealt with Gein's sanity after testimonies by doctors for the prosecution and defense. Golmer ruled Gein not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. Gein spent the rest of his life in the mental hospital. Judge Golmer wrote, due to prohibitive costs, Gein was tried for only one murder, that of Mrs. Warden. He also admitted to killing Mary Hogan. So now... Because he didn't kill the other ones, he like just exhumed their bodies. But isn't that like... Property sense, destruction? Or yeah, but you can't get like some, yeah, some murder for yeah, that. You know? yeah. like they, they're dead. Gein's house and 195 acre property were appraised at 4700 equivalent to 42000 in 2020. His possessions were scheduled to be auctioned on March 30, what? 1958. And missed rumors that the house and the land it stood on might become a tourist attraction. Early on the morning of March 20th, the house was destroyed by fire. 
The deputy oh. fire marshal reported that a garbage fire had been set what? 75 feet from the house by cleaning crew who were given the task of disposing of, re of refuse that hot coals were recovered from the spot of the bonfire, but that the fire did not spread along the ground from that location to the house. Arson was suspected, but the cause of the fire were never officially determined. It is possible that the fire was not considered a matter of urgency by Fire Chief Frank Warden, son of Bernice Warden, Gein's last victim. When Gein learned of the incident while in detention, he shrugged and said, just as well. Gein's 1949 Ford sedan, which he used to haul the bodies of the victims, was sold at public auction for $760, equivalent to $6,820.20, to Carnival Sideshow operator Bunny Gibson. Gibson, Gibbons, sorry, Gibbons. Gibbons charged Carnival goers 25 cents admission to see it. Gein's story had had lasting effect on the American popular culture as evident by the numerous appearance in film, music, and literature. The tale first came to widespread public attention to the fictionalized version presented by Robert Bloch in 1959 suspense novel, Psycho. In addition to Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 film, a Bloch's novel, Psycho, Gein's story was loosely adapted into numerous films, including Deranged in 1974, In the Light of the Moon in 2000, released in the United States and Australia as Ed Gein in 2001, Ed Gein the Butcher of Plainfield in 2007, Ed Gein the Musical in 2010, and Rob Zombie's films House of a Thousand Corpses and its <gasps> sequel, The Devil's Rejects. Mm. Gein served as an inspiration for myriad fictional serial killers, most notably Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill, The Silence of the Lambs, mm -hmm. and the character Dr. Oliver Tredson in the TV series American Horror Story Asylum. Mm -hmm. American filmmakers Errol Morris and German filmmaker Werner Herzog attempted unsuccessfully to collaborate on a film pro project about Gein from 1975 to 1976. Morris interviewed Gein several times and ended up spending almost a year in Plainfield interviewing dozens of locals. The pair planned secretly to exhume Gein's mothers from the grave to test the theory, but never followed through on the scheme and eventually ended up collaboration. The aborted project was described in 1989, New Yorker Profile of Morris. The character Patrick Bateman in 1991 novel American Psycho and its 2000 film adaptation mistakenly attributes a quote by Edmund Kemper to Gein saying, you know what Ed Gein said about women? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out and talk to her and be really nice and sweet and treat her right. The other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. No. Gein's vandalized grave marker as it appeared in 1999 before thieves stole it. Gein died at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure secondary to lung cancer on July 26, 1984 at the age of 77. Over the years, souvenir seekers chipped pieces from his gravestone at the Plainfield Cemetery until the stone itself was stolen in 2000. It was recovered in June 2001 near Seattle, Washington, and was placed in storage at the Washora County Sheriff's Department. The gravesite itself is now unmarked, but not unknown. Gein is interred between his parents and brother in the cemetery. Gein was initially found unfit to stand trial and confined to a mental health facility. By 1968, he was judged competent to stand trial. He was found guilty of the murder of Warden, but he was found legally insane and remanded to a psychiatric institution. He died at the Mendota Mental Health Institute from respiratory failure in July 26, 1984, age 77. We can record like seven episodes in Seattle. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Hola, soy Caro. Y Mari. Y Mari. Hoy vamos a hablar de la historia de Edward Gein, también conocido como el carnicero de Plainfield. Oh, que, fue, 
que fue un asesino estadounidense, presunto asesino en serie y ladrón de cuerpos. ¿Ladrón de cuerpos? ¿Body snatcher? ¿Carnicero? No, carnicero es like a butcher. Like he butchered people. Oh. Uh, los crímenes de Gain cometidos en los alrededores de su ciudad natal de Wisconsin adquirieron gran notoria notoriedad en 1957 después de que las autoridades descubrieran que había exhumado cadáveres de cementerios locales y creado trofeos y recuerdos con sus huesos y piel. Gain también confesó haber matado a dos mujeres, la dueña de una taberna y la dueña de una ferretería. Estaban en un camino. <laughs> Dos mujeres un camino boba. How's the song go, Mari? Dos mujeres. Dos mujeres. I don't know. Oh, it's that uh, annoying lady. What's her name? Laura. Laura León. Oh. Yeah. La tigresa. La tigresa. <laughs> Inicialmente, Game fue declarado no apto para ser juzgado y confinado en un centro de salud mental. En 1968 fue declarado competente para ser juzgado y fue declarado culpable del asesinato de Warden. Su vida temprana, la infancia. Game nació en el condado de La Crosse, Wisconsin, el 27 de agosto de 1906, segundo de dos hijos de George Philip Game y Augusta Wilhelmina. Augusta odiaba a su esposo porque las, no todas las mujeres odian a su madre. Un alcohólico que no podía <ríe> mantener un trabajo. Había trabajado en varias ocasiones como carpintero, curtidor y vendedor de seguros. George fue propietario de una tienda de comestibles local durante algunos años, pero vendió el negocio y la familia abandonó la ciudad para vivir aislada en una granja de 155 acres. Uh, Augusta se aprovechó el aislamiento de la granja al rechazar a los forasteros que podrían haber incluido a sus hijos. Gein dejó la granja solo para asistir a la escuela. Fuera de la escuela, Gein pasaba la mayor parte de su tiempo haciendo tareas en la granja. Augusta era fervientemente religiosa y nominalmente luterana. Predicó a sus hijos sobre la inmoralidad innata del mundo, la maldad de beber y su creencia de que todas las mujeres, aparte de ella, eran putas, <risa> promiscuas <risa> y instrumentos del diablo. Marines, oh. Mari es, una, es un instrumento del diablo. Y, y se da sus putivueltas. Putivueltas. <risa> Ella reservó tiempo todas las tardes para leerles la Biblia, generalmente seleccionando versículos del Antiguo Testamento y el libro del Apocalipsis sobre la muerte, el asesinato y la retribución divina. Gin era tímido y sus compañeros de clase y maestros lo recordaban con gestos extraños como una risa aparentemente aleatoria, como si se estuviera riendo de sus propios chistes personales. Para colmo, Augusta lo castigaba cada vez que se intentaba hacer amigos. A pesar de su pobre desarrollo social, a Gain le fue bastante bien en la escuela, particularmente en lectura. El 1 de abril de 1940, el padre de Ed Gain, George, murió de, su, murió de insuficiencia cardíaca causada por su alcoholismo a los 66 años. Henry y Ed comenzaron a hacer trabajos ocasionales en la ciudad para ayudar a cubrir los gastos de manutención. Los hermanos generalmente eran considerados confiables y honestos para, por los residentes de la comunidad. Si bien, ambos tabra, si bien ambos trabajaban como manitas, Ed también cuidaba con frecuencia a los vecinos. Le gustaba cuidar niños, parecía relacionarse más fácilmente con los niños que con los adultos. Henry comenzó a salir con una madre divorciada de dos hijos y planeaba mudarse con ella. Le preocupaba el apego de su hermano a su madre y a menudo hablaba mal de ella cuando estaba cerca de él. 
quien respondía con sorpresa y dolor. El 16 de mayo de 1944, Henry y Ed estaban quemando la vegetación del pantano en la propiedad. El fuego se salió de control, atrayendo la atención del departamento de bomberos local. A final del día, una vez extinguido el fuego y desaparecidos los bomberos, Ed denunció la desaparición de su hermano. Con farolillos y linternas, un grupo de búsqueda buscó a Henry, cuyo cadáver fue encontrado boca abajo. Aparentemente había estado muerto durante algún tiempo y parecía que la causa de su muerte fue una insuficiencia cardíaca, ya que no había sufrido quemaduras ni lesiones de otra manera. Más tarde se informó por el biógrafo Harold Schechter que Henry tenía moretones en la cabeza. La policía descartó la posibilidad de que se tratara de un crimen y el forense del condado más tarde enumeró oficialmente la asfixia como la causa de la muerte. Las autoridades aceptaron la teoría del accidente, pero no se llevó a cabo ninguna investigación oficial ni se realizó una autopsia. Jane y su madre estaban ahora solos. Augusta sufrió un derrame cerebral paralizante poco después de la muerte de Henry y Gaines se dedicó a cuidarla. En algún momento de 1945, contó Gaines más tarde, él y su madre visitaron a un hombre llamado Smith, que vivía cerca para comprar paja. Según Gaines, Augusta vio a Smith golpear a un perro. Una mujer dentro de la casa de Smith salió y le gritó que se detuviera, pero Smith golpeó al perro hasta matarlo. Augusta estaba muy disgustada por esta escena. Sin embargo, lo que le molestaba no parecía ser la brutalidad hacia el perro, sino la presencia de la mujer. Augusta le dijo a él que la mujer no estaba casada con Smith, por lo que no tenía por qué estar allí. La ramera de Smith, o sea, la puta de Smith. The harlot. Yes, the harlot. La llamó Augusta enojada. Poco después sufrió un segundo derrame cerebral y su salud se deterioró rápidamente. Murió el 29 de diciembre de 1945 a la edad de 67 años. Ed quedó devastado por su muerte. En palabras del autor Harold Schechter, había perdido a su único amigo y único amor verdadero. Y estaba absolutamente solo en el mundo. Sus crímenes. En la mañana del 16 de noviembre de 1957, la propietaria de la ferretería de Plainfield, Bernice Warden, desapareció. Un residente de Plainfield informó que el camión de la ferretería había sido expulsado de la parte trasera del edificio alrededor de las nueve y media de la mañana. La ferretería vio pocos clientes durante todo el día. Algunos residentes del área creían que esto se debía a la temporada de caza de venados. El hijo de Bernice Warden, el aguacila junto Frank Warden, ingresó a la tienda alrededor de las cinco de la tarde. Frank Warden dijo a los investigadores que la noche anterior a la desaparición de su madre, Jean había estado en la tienda y que debía haber regresado a la mañana siguiente por un galón de anticongelante. Un comprobante de venta de un galón de anticongelante anticongelante fue el último recibo escrito por Ward en la mañana en que desapareció. En la noche del mismo día, Game fue arrestado en una tienda de comestibles de West Plainfield. Un ayudante al aguacil del condado de Washara descubrió el cuerpo decapitado de Warden en un cobertizo en la propiedad de Gein, colgada boca abajo de sus piernas como un travesaño en los tobillos y cuerdas en las muñecas. El torso estaba vestido como un ciervo. Le habían disparado con un rifle, un rifle calibre 22 y las mutilaciones se realizaron después de su muerte. Al registrar la casa, lo que encontraron fue huesos humanos enteros, una papelera hecha de piel humana, piel humana cubriendo varios asientos de sillas, calaveras en los postes de su cama, cráneos femeninos, cuencos hechos de cráneos humanos, un corsé hecho de un torso femenino, desollado desde los hombros hasta la cintura. Calzas hechas con piel de pie, pierna humana. 
máscaras hechas con piel de cabezas femeninas, mascarilla de Mary Hogan, el cráneo de Mary Hogan, la cabeza entera de Bernice Warden, el corazón de Bernice Warden, ¿El corazón? Uh -huh. Nueve vulvas en una caja de zapatos, el vestido de una niña y las vulvas de dos mujeres que se juzgó que tenían unos 15 años. Oh. Un cinturón hecho de pezones humanos femeninos que Bunny dijo que tenían. Mi favorito. <risa> <risa> Cuatro narices, un par de labios, una pantalla hecha con la piel de un rostro humano y uñas de dedos femeninos. Cuando se le preguntó, King dijo a los investigadores que entre 1947 al 52 realizó hasta 40 visitas nocturnas a tres cementerios locales para exhumar cuerpos recientemente enterrados mientras estaba en un estado de aturdimiento. En aproximadamente 30 de estas visitas dijo que salió el aturdimiento mientras estaban en el cementerio, dejó la tumba en buen estado y regresó a casa con las manos vacías. En otras ocasiones desenterró las tumbas de las mujeres de mediana edad recientemente enterradas que pensó que se parecían a su madre y se llevó los cuerpos a su casa. Quien admitió haber robado nueve tumbas de cementerios locales y llevó a los investigadores a sus ubicaciones. La parte superior de las cajas estaba a unos 61 centímetros por debajo de la superficie del suelo arenoso. Gin había robado las tumbas poco después de los funerales mientras las tumbas no estaban completas. Las tumbas de prueba fueron exhumadas porque las autoridades no estaban seguras de si el pequeño Gin era capaz de cavar una tumba sin ayuda durante una no sola noche. Poco después de la muerte de su madre, Gin comenzó a crear un traje de mujer para que pudiera convertirse en su madre, literalmente meterse en su piel. Gin negó haber tenido relaciones sexuales con los cuerpos que exhumó y explicó por qué olían muy mal. Durante el interrogatorio del laboratorio estatal del criminalista, Gin también admitió haber matado a tiros a Mary Hogan, dueña de una taberna desaparecida desde 1954. Un joven de 16 años cuyos padres eran amigos de Gin y que asistían con él a los juegos de pelota y el cine, informó que Gin tenía cabezas reducidas en su casa, que Gin había escrito como reliquias de las Filipinas enviadas por un primo que había servi servido en las islas durante la Segunda Guerra Mundial. King también fue considerado sospechoso en varios otros casos sin resolver en Wisconsin. El 21 de noviembre de 1957, King fue procesado por un cargo de asesinato en primer grado en el Tribunal de Condado de Washara, donde se declaró inocente por demencia. La casa de Gin y la propiedad de 195 acres se tasaron en $4,700, el equivalente a $42,000 hoy. Sus posesiones estaban programadas para ser subastadas el 30 de marzo de 1958, en medio de rumores de que la casa y el terreno en el que se encontraba podrían convertirse en una atracción turística. El sedán Ford de 1949 de Gin, que usó para transportar los cuerpos de sus víctimas, se vendió en una subasta pública por 760 dólares al operador del espectáculo secundario de carnaval Bunny Gibbons. Su muerte. Gin murió en el Instituto de Salud Mental de Mendora debido a una insuficiencia respiratoria secundaria a cáncer del pulmón el 26 de julio de 1984 a los 77 años. A lo largo de los años, los buscadores de recuerdos astillaron piezas de su lápida en el cementerio de Plainfield hasta que la piedra misma fue robada. La tumba en sí ahora no está marcada, pero no es desconocida. Gin está enterrado entre sus padres en el hermano y su hermano en el cementerio. La historia de Guiena tenía un efecto duradero en la cultura popular estadounidense, como los demuestran en sus numerosas apariciones en películas, música y literatura. En la versión ficticia presentada por Robert Bloch en su novela de suspenso Psycho, también la película que hizo de Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho, 
la historia de quien se adaptó libremente en numerosas películas como en Derange, en Light of the Moon, um, Ed Gein, El Carnicero de Plainfield, uh, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses y la secuela La Devil's Rejects. Uh, también Gein sirvió de inspiración para una miriada, miriada de asesinos en series ficticios, sobre todo Norman Bates, Leatherface, Buffalo Bill y el, el personaje Dr. Oliver Tredson en la serie de televisión American Horror Story. El personaje de Patrick Bateman en la novela de 1991 American Psycho y su adaptación cinematográfica atribuye erróneamente una cita de Edmund Kemper Gein diciendo, ¿Sabes lo que dijo Ed Gein sobre las mujeres? Cuando veo a una linda chica caminando por la calle pienso en dos cosas. Una parte de mí quiere salir con ella, hablar con ella, ser muy amable y dulce y tratarla bien. La otra parte, como se vería su cabeza en un palo. No. Ese es el cuento de Ed Gein, que estaba enamorado de su mamá y quería vivir en su cuerpo. Gross. <risa> y se reía libremente de sus chistes. ¿Cómo, cómo <risa> bueno, si tienen un cuento o tienen otras, uh, algo que nos quieren sugerir, por favor nos mandan sus cuentos a cafecitoconcrimen.gmail.com. Uh, Chao. Chao. Bye. Bye.